Morning, everybody. Welcome to Pleasant Valley Church. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. That's not going to work. Could you just talk amongst yourselves for a second? Just, I'm just going to level it. That's all. There we go. I can't put this down if I can. My name's Chad. Uh, I am privileged to be one of the pastors here at Pleasant Valley. Did you know that Jesus is in the room this morning? He is. Amen. And he is ready to meet you no matter where you are. If you came in this morning feeling cold and calloused and like, I don't want to be here. He's ready to meet you. He's ready to speak to your heart. Um, And there's lots going on. I want to say hey to traditions, folks. I'm looking at you. They're right across the hall. We're so thankful for you. If that's the way God has wired you and that ministers to you to sing hymns, to connect with some beautiful singing that has been a part of rich tradition of the church for a long time, that's for you. Uh, We'd love for you to join over there. And then they join uh, through video here. We love for you to connect with Jesus this morning. Obviously, you saw some opportunities for you to do missions right here. Sammy and Josh just telling us right here, the Lord bringing people into our midst that we can care for. Uh, I was very challenged this week as I listened to a pastor um, and just this will probably mess with you too. It messed with me. Uh, A pastor in Texas was talking about how they got their leaders together, elders, and he said, I just want you to know the kinds of people that are on this group, this group of people, leaders. And he said, we started our meeting in prayer. I was like, yeah, I've done that. You know, it's like, I know, I know, I know how to do that too. But he said, we took a picture of the leader of the Taliban. I was like, what? Yeah, he says, and then we took the picture of the guy who is his right-hand man, who's carrying out all of the stuff. He said, we put those pictures up on the screen. And he says, and then we just prayed for God to mess with them. We pray that he would mess with their plans, that his spirit would invade their dreams, that the Lord would come in and win their hearts. And I was like, (laughs) but then I was like, yup, that is what you ask us to do, isn't it, Jesus? Is it challenging this morning to hear that? Yeah. Is it what we're called to? Is it what God has given us grace and power to see happen? He says, don't just care for the refugees. Don't just care for those coming across the border. I want you to care for the enemies who are trying to hurt them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to see them come to know me. And we see that in scripture. That happened. We had people just like that. Paul, trying to kill people that knew Jesus or that were seeking life. So I want to pray for us and just ask that God would meet us. But I want you to know that I'm challenged every week as well by God's word. He, he messes with me too. That's what he's supposed to do. So let's, let's pray for him to mess with us this morning. Let's do it. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the parts that say things that our flesh says, no, <laughs> I won't do that. Um, I was so challenged this week hearing that story of prayer. It reminded me of one 15 years ago of somebody who set up a website with used the FBI's most wanted list, and it was their prayer website, pictures and everything, all the current terrorists around the world, and they were assigned in prayer, Christians praying for them to know you, Jesus. That's challenging, Lord, but that is your heart this morning. And in the midst of it, we are trying to grow as followers of you. We want to have our hearts changed and transformed. And so would you use Luke's gospel this morning to do that? In Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, I want to let you know that the budget did pass, uh, overwhelmingly affirmed. Thank you to those who voted, but thank you also for you. Even if you're not a member, you're here. And if, especially too, if you feel led to support what God is doing here, um, we're able to do it because you are giving, because you're listening to Jesus. So let me encourage you to continue to talk to him, continue to know that that is an act of worship to give. It's a part of something that we do as believers. As we look at Luke chapter 19 this morning, if you have a copy of God's word, turn there. Um, reminders, we have a Bible, Bible's in the back. And if you want one, you can take it home with you. I encourage you to have your own copy. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. And as we jump in, Daniel did a phenomenal job last week. Um, one phrase from that story of Zacchaeus. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. So I am one of those guys that always wonders what happened in between the stories. So... Imagine the big party, Zacchaeus is giving money to people, he's paying people back. They had a big party, everybody was there, it was a huge celebration, and then the, the party dies down and people start to leave. And so that's kind of where we are in Luke 19, verse 11. They're leaving, maybe they just left Zacchaeus' house, Jericho, they're on their way to Jerusalem. They sit by the road, there's a fire crackling, there are murmurs and conversation. The tree is so little, like whatever, just different conversations are happening around the fire. And there's Jesus. He's looking around the fire, looking at people. And every once in a while, he'll catch somebody's eye. And they, you know, you ever have this happen where you, you recognize somebody's looking at you and you're having a conversation and you're like, it's, you look, you're, oh, Hey, and he looks back at them and he smiles and he is gathering his heart and mind around his mission to seek and save the lost. He looks around that campfire. He looks around our room this morning and he says, they need saving. They need saving. And so a story begins to form in his mind and heart. And the Trinity is doing this long before time began, but this story is the one that happens here. And I love that Jesus told stories. I love that he told stories. Like he didn't stand up and say, okay, three points. Everybody listen up. There's a reason kids don't beg for lectures or three point principles. They beg for stories. Let us hear a story. And I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to stories and stories set in space. Lisa does not share that love. My wife, <laughs> She's, she'll come down. Sometimes we'll be like, we'll sit together and we kind of have this routine. We both get decaf English breakfast. We sit down and maybe we'll watch a show or something together. And she'll come down. And she'll be like, oh, space. No, I don't want to watch space. But I grew up, I'm a product of the 70s and 80s. And so I grew up with Star Trek. I grew up with Battlestar Galactica and Star Wars. What did I want for Christmas? Action figures, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Chewie, R2-D2, C-3PO, baby. Let's go. That's what I wanted. And what is it about those stories? Long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. And you're like, you see the words moving up the screen, you know? 
You're super excited. Why? Why are we drawn to them? Now, the, the setting is spectacular. It's space. You could die there. And so you're like, I want to go. <laughs> um, but it's more than the setting. It's more than the blasters and the, you know, the Jedis and all that kind of stuff. What it is, is there's a person that you're rooting for. Luke Skywalker. He starts the story. You're rooting for him. And there's reasons we connect with these stories. Because they have to do with us. We have those same longings. We have those same desires, those same broken places. What does Luke have? He's got a broken family, doesn't know what he's doing there, has these things. I want to be somebody. I want to do something. We connect. We're like, yeah, that's, I want him to succeed. So a recent one, and I just want to show you, uh, this is more current, show you a picture here of, uh, anybody seen this movie? Cool. Then maybe you'll watch it. Now, by the way, just because I get emails sometimes, I don't endorse everything that happens in movies, <laughs> language, yada, yada, yada. If you want to watch it, it's a movie. It's a current movie. But it was based on a book by Andy Weir, and it was called The Martian, um, about a mission to Mars, very kind of relevant, Elon Musk kind of stuff. In the future, the science part of it is fascinating, very cool. But what hooks you is this guy. His name is Mark Watney. He's with another team. They're there on a mission, and all of a sudden the storm comes, and they've got to abort the mission, and they're all going back. And the storm, something breaks loose and hits him. His bio detection stuff goes offline. He's dead. They leave. And you're like, now in any good movie, that's not the end, is it? That's the setup. That's the setup. It's where our story starts today with Jesus. Not the Martian, but another group of people left alone on a planet. He goes off, and you're going to see that in the story. And here's the thing. With Jesus, every story he tells, let me say it again, every story he tells is to communicate to us the life and death reality of our need for him, his absolute and exclusive ability to save us from sin and the necessity for us to respond. Every story, your need, his exclusive ability, your response. Your need, his exclusive ability to save you, your response. Any story you read from Jesus, this whole book, your need, your brokenness, your sin, his exclusive ability, exclusive to save you and the need for you to respond, the necessity for you to respond, any story. So, Having said that, keep that opening scene from the Martian in your mind, left alone on a planet, Luke 19, verse 11. Here we go. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away to receive for himself a kingdom and then return, calling 10 of his servants. He gave them 10 minas, which we're going to talk about what that is, and said to them, engage in business until I come. Engage in business until I come. So 
He leaves, leaves them alone on a planet. Now we're doing something different here. We're keeping stuff up there because I want you to look at it. I want you to get used to looking at the word of God. I don't want it just to be a flash in the pan and like, what does that say? I want you to look at it. I want you to study it. I want it to become a part of you. And if the Holy Spirit takes you down a track, even if I'm going on and on and you're like, that guy's yammering, but Lord, you're speaking to me through this part. Good, good. That's our goal. It's not for you to be attached to life support on Sunday morning. It's for you to realize that he wants to take up residence in you and for you to study and hear his heart. So they heard these things. He proceeded to tell a parable. As they heard what he was happening, what was going on, he proceeded to tell a story. This story, why? Well, Jesus is responding to their thoughts as we've seen him do, and emotions and expectations with a parable. He tells us what our hearts need to hear when we need to hear it. And I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus is rarely a whip cracker. He rarely comes in with like, listen to this. This is what you need to hear. He's subtle. He's nuanced at times direct for sure. But he says things at precise moments with precision, accuracy, and purpose. And when he tells the story, he knows it's going to stick with you. When you tell a story back to somebody that you've seen, if you watch a great movie, when you tell them the story, do you tell them the whole movie? No, you'll say, there's this guy left alone on a planet. Everybody thought he was dead. We remember key parts. He knows you're gonna remember this. So when he says, hey, a nobleman, a guy went away into a far country and he left his servants with something, you're going to remember that. It's going to be something that hopefully sticks with you. But Jesus also tells these stories in real time. They're not make-believe for him. They're actually about you. They're actually about me. And he, he is a character in the story. We are characters in the story. So he's not just saying, hey, here's an interesting thing to think about. He's saying, I'm going to tell you a story because it has to do with what is going on in your life. He chose this story precisely for this moment. And he tells them why. Because one, he was near Jerusalem, which is code for he's about to be murdered. Okay? He's about to be murdered. This is where it's all going down. The mission is nearing an end. He knows what this means, but they don't know what this means. And because, so one, he was near Jerusalem. And two, they supposed... They thought the kingdom is coming now. You know what they were thinking? He's going to bring the thunder. We're going to Jerusalem. You know what he's going to do? He's going to start cracking heads. The Romans, all the bad people, he's going to bring it now. It's going down. Something big is happening. And so this is his final story. This is the last story before the cross. This is what he wants them to hear. And I think it's a really important one for us, especially in our current time and where we are. Of all that could be said, this is the one. But I want you to also think about, do you guys remember when you were a kid or your own kids or now your grandkids? Do they want to go to bed? Never. They never want to, as adults, we're like, can I go to bed? I just want to take a nap and then another nap. And then I'm going to, I'm just, I love sleep. And kids are like, no. It's the worst thing in the world. And what do they say? Please, I, um, I need a drink of water. Fine, get one drink, just one drink. Okay, okay. Can you leave the light on? Can you crack the door? That's too much. A little more. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Can you close the closet? I thought somebody evil lived in my closet when I was a boy. 
And then the final, like the trump card that we use when we get to the end as a little kid, what do we say? Just one more story. Please, Jesus, can you tell us one more story? Anything just to prolong. So they kind of know that something's happening. They know that there's something going down. They know that an end is happening. And he says, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, which we listen to that and we're like, yeah, yeah, like that doesn't sound like anything. But for them, they said, whoa, Jesus, are you reading the Jerusalem Gazette? Because that is ripped from our headlines. That story is ripped from our headlines. I'll tell you what I mean. Jesus knew how to read the news. Jesus still knows how to read the news. He knows what's going on. He's not out to lunch or oblivious to what's going on in the world. Don't give in to that temptation that the world has somehow outgrown him or advanced beyond him. No, Jesus tells us stories and truths that are directly related to current and future history. What do I know? Why do I say that? This story right here a nobleman went to a far country to receive a kingdom for himself, wasn't something unfamiliar. It was happening. It had happened. Remember King Herod, the one who tried to kill Jesus, killing all the babies? His son, Archelaus, guess what he did? He went to Rome. You know why? To receive a kingship. He went saying, I want to be a king back in my hometown. Right from their headlines. Now, he was not liked. People didn't like him. He was a wannabe king. He wasn't a real king. Just wanted the title. So Rome didn't just hand that out. So they handed him like an almost king title. He was shady. He killed people. He piled their bodies in the temple to show force, to show what kind of person he was. He was bowing his knee to Rome to get kingship. This would have caused people to say, wait a minute, Jesus, you know about Archelaus? How about 2021? Jesus, do you know about American politics? Do you know about Democrats? Republicans? Libertarians? Jesus, are you really up to speed? Are you even familiar with how our democracy works? He is. He is. And as Peter would say in his first letter, we are citizens of another kingdom. He does know. So Jesus grabs their attention with this story. But here's the difference. He flips it because this is no wannabe king. This is the king of kings. He is the nobleman. He is going away to a far country, which is heaven. He is going to come back. He is about to give them a gift. What is the gift? What is a mina? He gave them 10 mina. So how do we interpret that as we look at it? Now, there's a the gift of the talents. In Matthew 25, he gives different amounts. In this one, he gives the same amount to everybody. So I want to do something right here, which they did it already. There it is. He gives them a life, the gospel. Everybody receives the same thing. Now, the different commentators would say different things about this, but several of them landed here. And this is what God was speaking to my heart. And I think it makes sense. He gives them a life. Neither of those things, the life that you have or the gospel have been initiated by you or created by you. You had nothing to do with them. They've been given as a gift. So what do we do with this? Two of the most important things you've been given, life and the gospel, cause you to say, you know what? Jesus has given this to me. And these two things will be the standard by which I am judged when he returns. 
These two things, what did I do with them? He says, engage in business. What he's saying there is do something with what I have given to you. What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with the gospel? Very, very different from religion, which says do something to earn the gift. Live a great life, earn the gift. Jesus says, no, here's the gift. Here's the gospel. The life, death, resurrection, ascension, and eventual return of Jesus. Everything accomplished for you in the cross. Do something with it. Here's your life I've given to you. Don't earn it. It's done. Freely given. Will you accept it or reject it? So we're left on the planet. And he's wondering, how will they do? What will they do with the gift? Jesus has gone into that far country. So what happens next? Verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now this happened in historically as well to Archelaus. A group of people said, send a delegation, follow him to Rome, tell them we don't actually want him as a king. They sent a delegation. Would you think about that phrase just for a second? What does that mean now? What does that look like now? It might look like this. Well, my professor, or this guy that I read online, or my friend who is super smart, says this new group of people interpreting the Bible can finally tell us what the Bible is saying. It's not what God said about all that. We're not supposed to do that. He's saying something totally different. It's the same old trick of sending a delegation to say, we don't need your authority. We don't want to recognize you as our king. We don't want him to reign over us. This has been happening since the garden. We don't want you as king. So I'm not just rejecting Jesus on a whim. I am officially rejecting him. I am sending a delegation made up of me, myself, and I. And we three, the sacred trinity of us, says, no, we don't want you as king. Yet the word of God tells us Jesus is your king. No, he's not. This is, this is what we do. This is what the world does. Jesus is your king. No, he's not. Here's a question for you. Does it matter that we say, no, he's not my king? Does it matter? Jesus gives his answer in the story. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He clearly establishes his absolute authority over us, over our life, whether we agree with it or not. But it doesn't mean people won't try doesn't mean we won't try to say no. History is full of people sending delegations to heaven. What's a current send a delegation example right now? Anybody heard of the word deconstruction? Okay, so let me just tell you what it is. It's a current thing that says, I'm going to deconstruct from what I grew up in and faith and all these kinds of things, all this stuff. And on the other side of it, I will get to what I think is acceptable, what is good for me, the good kind of faith. I'll, I'll be left with the good things. Now, there is a good kind there's a good kind of deconstruction because some people have grown up and their constructed version of religion, really not Christianity, is, has legalism. It's full of pastors and leaders who are bullies. It has hateful Christians who don't love their enemies or in the name of holiness and purity actually throw out the baby with the bathwater, meaning the very people who may or may not be caught up in sin are supposed to be the ones we love but we don't like them. We don't want them here. It's not the gospel. Or arbitrary, paper-thin religion, Christianity, that's about an inch deep and is tied up in being an American and not being a citizen, that kind of stuff. 
If you deconstruct from that and you come out on the other side with Jesus, the gospel, the word of God, that's good. That's a good kind of deconstruction. But you know what usually happens? And what most of the time, and you'll see it, celebrities that used to be Christians, I deconstructed and then I came out on the other side and I really don't need Jesus as king. I really don't need this book. It's a little bit archaic and it's a little bit legalistic. I don't want it. I don't need it. I've deconstructed. I have come up with my own version. And Jesus would say, uh, that's like a tree house nailed to the side of a real house. It's boards and plywood and tarp. And you're like, nope, I'm good. I can live here. And it's leaking. And you're living. Jesus is like, get rid of that. That is not a real house. That is a deconstructed version of Christianity that's left you with a Bible that's been ransacked. Pages have been torn out. Judgment and justice are only symbolic. Heaven and hell, literary tools. Jesus is king means his ideas are supreme. Let love rule the day. Jesus says, uh, you just sent a delegation. That's all you did. We did. It was official though. We sent a delegation. So how does Jesus respond to the delegation? He doesn't really answer them. He just comes back anyway. As king, the people said, we don't want you as the king. He goes anyway. He receives the kingship. He comes back, passes them on the way. Doesn't matter. What do we have in the story Everyone lines up. Everyone must answer. Everyone must speak up. Nobody's allowed with a doctor's note saying, but I sent a delegation. I don't want him to be king. So can I be excluded from this final judgment? No, no. Jesus says you have to give an account. So what will that look like? Verse 15, when he returned, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina, remember gospel life, has made 10 minas more. He said to him, tell me if this language sounds familiar. Well done, good servant. Yeah, we've heard that before, Matthew 25. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. The second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five more. He said to him, you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a hanky. I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you then with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I didn't deposit, reaping what I didn't saw. Why didn't you just put my money in the bank, at least that I might come having collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him. Give it to the one who has 10. And they said, Lord, he's already got 10. He says, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Woof. That's heavy. What is the take it to the bank statement right here at the beginning of verse 15? It's a promise from Jesus. He's confirmed it. It is all over the Bible, Old Testament and new. What is it? First three words. When he returned. It's so important to us around here. It's our fourth grace anchor. He's coming back. 
when he returned. And he returns as a king, full authority. Every nation, tribe, and tongue line up. The king is here. Servants in the story are followers of Jesus, both real and alleged. There, that is such a thing, by the way. They all received the same gift, not of their own will, but the Lord gave them each a life and gave them the gospel. What did they do with it? First two servants responded to the gift, invested their lives in the kingdom, engaged in business with the gospel. Like I said, it's not a works thing. This is not earn it, then I'll give you the gift. They just let it do its thing in their life. And let me say this, scripture bears this out. A life given over to Jesus that says, I want to receive your gospel will absolutely, no bones about it, without a doubt, bring about growth and fruit. There will be a return. I guarantee you. Doesn't happen the other way around where it's like, oh, that person knows Jesus. There's absolutely no fruit. Nothing's happening. No change, no humility, no response, no repentance, never saying they're sorry for anything. Just walking around arrogant. They know the Bible, but they really aren't reflective of his heart. Guess what? They probably don't know him. They probably don't know him. We know that's possible. That's also all over the Bible. People knowing the Bible, but not knowing the Lord. Do you know why it will bring a return? It's because it's his. He has done it. He has given it. It's not yours. Your life has been given to you by him. It's his gospel. It's about him. You didn't do anything to earn it. So they say, Lord, your mina. I want you to start thinking about that for your own life. When you, tomorrow, when you go to work, when you go to school, to say, Lord, your life right here belongs to you and your gospel. That's the way to start moving into this. Your mina, the life you gave me and the gospel have produced this. Well done, good servant. Now the third guy, listen to his well-spoken excuse. You ready? Listen to the wisdom of the world. Lord, you want to know why I was so off my rocker in 2020 and 2021? And I didn't do the things it said so clearly in the Bible. You just don't understand, Jesus, how difficult it was with COVID and the politics of our nation. I mean, what about our rights, Jesus, and our borders and the people on the other side of the political aisle? I mean, they really aren't good people. They really aren't. And the church has a lot of mean people. And so you're mine. Well, I, I bailed. I left. I gave it up. I didn't want to do it. I kept it. I kept it laid away in a handkerchief. I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. I hid your gift. I hid it in a hanky. It's great words from Luke to show the ridiculousness of not doing anything. That's, that's what it's done. It's just sitting there in a handkerchief. I bought into the 21st century interpretation of the Bible. The podcast, the bloggers, they were all so influ influential. I mean, they had like 100,000 followers. Doesn't that count for something in eternity? They said you were harsh, judgmental, old, angry. And the people in the church were the same way. I followed the podcasters and the bloggers and the pastors who had deconstructed instead of you. So that's why I didn't think you were serious about loving my enemies or about keeping myself pure sexually or my life being not my life and 
I just thought, stop, there it is. I just thought. Jesus said, that's what you thought about me. Therefore, you will be judged on what you thought and what you believed. As one commentator put it, nothing plus nothing equals nothing. Take from the one who has not. Listen to that phrasing. He has not. Take it from the one who doesn't have anything anyway. He's been hiding in a handkerchief. And give it to someone else. How about those who said, we don't want him as king. We have no king but Caesar. Bring these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. Bring them here and slaughter them before me. Whoa. Anybody want to help Jesus out there? Jesus, we don't talk like that anymore. Think about that this is the last story and that this is what he's finishing the story with. As far as bedtime stories go, that's a tough ending, isn't it? Bring my enemies, those who didn't want me as a king, and slaughter them before me. Night-night, sweetie, sleep tight. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? It's, it's kind of like, uh... I've listened to Matt Chandler this week, a pastor in Texas, and he was talking about easy believism and scaring people into belief. And he goes, it's the parent who's like leaning over their seven-year-old when they're little and saying, hey, do you want to go to heaven to be with mommy and daddy or do you want to burn in hell forever? <laughs> the kid's like, I want to go with mommy and daddy. Jesus is not trying to manipulate or to scare you into believing. If he tells you something, it's because it's true. He's not trying to just be dramatic. He's wanting to say, look, this is what's happening. Of all the things he could share in the last story, this is what he chooses to finish with. It's crazy. Enemies, those who don't want me as king, will be destroyed by their own choosing. It made me think of the verse from Romans eleven twenty-two: 22. Behold the kindness and severity of God. Behold the kindness and severity of God. But what is the reward for those who were faithful with their life? Faithful with the gospel. And again, not a works thing. Not pull up your bootstraps, get it done. But just, Lord, just let it happen. What you've accomplished. It isn't money that they get. It's co-regency, which is reign with me. You know, there are verse in the Bible that says, do you not know that you will judge angels? What does that even mean? I don't know, but it sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. Chad, well done. You can have Tennessee. Yes. I don't know if that's how it's going to work, but he's inviting you into reigning with him. So you read something like this, and you think about it, and it's hard, it's difficult. Um, and so Wednesday night, and this is my process, just so you guys know, and, and this is the case with all of the people who stand up here and teach and preach, we let this hit us all week long. We sit in it, we think about it, we pray, we study, we do our work, we read, we read other people who are smarter than we are, we talk to each other, we let God's word work on us. And so I thought, I was about Wednesday afternoon, I had some stuff written down, I'd been thinking and praying, and then the battle started. You don't know what you're talking about. 
You don't know what, you don't even know how to do this. You know, and so I was just like, I went from, oh, Lord, I think you're giving me some stuff too. Like, oh, I don't think I can do this, which is common. You know, any, any kind of uh, confidence that we put off up here, it's all fake, by the way. <laughs> It's all fake. We are so desperate for Jesus every week. We're so desperate for him to speak to us, to let his word hit us and change us. And so I read this and man, I was feeling it. I was feeling it. And I have like, I got imaginary conversations with people I have, people that I think maybe don't like me very much or don't want to hear from me or don't think I'm a good pastor or whatever. And you know, you just start all this stuff. And so Wednesday night, I just laying in bed, awake, worried, anxious about these things. And I was like, Lord, okay. Tell me what you want to tell me from this verse, from this passage. What do you want to say to me? And it hit me like a wave of grace. And here's what it was. Chad, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. This is one of the closing moments. You can't quite see it, but there are uh, two people behind that black thing there. Oops. Um, it's the rescue moment from the movie. Really encourage if, you, if you're into that kind of thing to watch it. I'm such a sap. I used to watch Highway to Heaven with what's his name, Michael Landon, and I could cry at like every moment. Little House on the Prairie brought me to tears all the time as a kid, okay? So I'm that guy. But so in this, I was watching this this last week just by myself. Sometimes I do that. And uh, this moment of rescue, it's like things are hanging in the balance. Is it gonna get, and then when they finally like, boom, they meet. And it's, it's this moment where he's like, hey, <laughs> just like so intense, almost died. And then there's his commander rescuing him and they're twisted up and these cables and stuff and kind of spinning around and looking at each other through these, you know, masks and visors. And it's just this like, hey, and I just had this sweet moment of just, I, you know, tears in my eyes, just like, oh, rescue is so cool. Somebody being saved is so amazing. Why are we drawn to those stories? Why did Jesus know to use stories when he talked to us? Because he knew it would speak to the deepest places of your heart, which is to say, I'm coming for you. How does that statement make you feel? The gospel or good news of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and eventual return has had an impact in your life. If you've let it do its thing, you're thrilled. There's absolute joy. If it hasn't, you feel lost. You feel a hole. You feel a vacuum that can't be filled. And that is intentional from the Spirit of God. His word is supposed to cause you. Remember what we said? Every story from Jesus is supposed to cause you to feel your need, his exclusive ability to save you, and the necessity of your response. You should be feeling that. So what will your response to your king be? Lord, here is your life that you gave me. Here is the gospel at work in my life and the people I encountered and my friends. It's yours. I didn't do it. It was your spirit at work in me. Or, Lord, I bought into the wrong kind of deconstruction. I was so mad at church. That one pastor, that one person who was such a tool, those legalistic people just made it too hard. Here's your life. Here's your gospel exactly as you gave it. Actually, my life is kind of in ruins. 
and the gospel has been hidden in a hanky. Here. Or will you be the one who sent a delegation? I thought I said I didn't want you as king. Wait a minute, you mean I couldn't have it my way? It wasn't to thine own self be true? It's a classic statement in literature, but it's a horrible statement for Christianity. <laughs> to Jesus be true. But I was supposed to be true to you, Lord? I didn't believe. I rebelled. I hated you. I still hate you. And here's going to be the truth of Judgment Day. But I bow before you, my King. You do all things well. You are just and true and right in all of your ways. People that will be going to destruction will be saying that. That's what the Bible says. Who can compare to you? There is none like you. The Psalms will be flowing from their mouths. And what I receive from your hand, I justly deserve. That's what the Bible tells us. Left alone on a planet, a God coming back for us, a king coming back for us. What has he given us? All the same thing. One life and a gospel which says it's all been accomplished for you. How does the story end for you? We're going to move to the table and I'm going to ask those who are serving, come on in and they're going to take their spot and the worship team is going to come up. And I want you to think about this. Judas sat at this table. Does everybody know who Judas is? We don't name our kids Judas, right? <laughs> Anybody got a kid named Judas? <laughs> I don't think so. There's a reason we don't name our kids Judas. Judas sat at this table. And there's several different accounts of what happened because there's always the question of, did Jesus, did Judas take communion? Uh, one version says that when he dipped the bread. So Jesus basically said, this is what this is for. This is what I'm doing for you. When he dipped the bread, Satan entered into him and he left. Either way, he was a part of this in some way. He knew what was going on. He had some acknowledgement of the bread and the wine and what it related to. In other words, there was a place of decision. And I know in prophecy, he would be the one. He was always going to be the one. I love, though, that John MacArthur, I think, I was reading back when I was in high school, college, a book talked about how Judas sat in the honored spot next to Jesus, which meant conversations were like this. Who knows how that would have played out differently? But either way, it was a choice. He was at the table. Scripture tells us that on the night they were together, and the night that he would be betrayed, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. I'm going to give them some time to pass that out for you. Isaiah, about 800 years before this moment, Isaiah spoke these words. You guys can go ahead and pass. You want to take, there's two cups combined together, so take the whole thing. And there's also gluten-free for those of you who can't do the regular stuff. 
So 800 years before, spoken in the words of scripture by Isaiah said this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as from one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. In other words, people looked at him, looked at the cross, looked at what was happening, would look at him and say, what did you do? What did you do? Verse four though says, surely he has borne our griefs though and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own, own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The table's an invitation. It is to be reserved for those who have accepted the gospel, who have said yes, recognized their need, recognized his exclusive ability to save and responded. But it doesn't mean that you're not invited. Love to speak with you. Somebody would love to pray with you afterwards. If you're finally going like, Lord, I, I don't want to send a de delegation anymore. I don't want to make an excuse anymore. I don't want to say, well, that person was so mean and so mad. Do you, like somebody said this this week to me. Is that, what you, is that what you want to do? Do you really want to stand in front of the Lord one day and say, yeah, but 2021 is so hard. That's, that's what you're going to go on? That's how you're going to stand in front of him one day? He says, you got to look beyond this. Jesus knows the headlines. And so it's an invitation this morning, if you don't know him, to acknowledge, I have sinned. I am a sinner I cannot save myself. I recognize, Jesus, your exclusive ability to save me. No one else can do that for me. And I am responding. If that's happening in your heart right now, let it be. Let it be according to his word. Let it happen. Gospel will accomplish its work. So Jesus sat with them. He took bread. And he broke it. And I'll say this to you this morning, my friends, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. Let's partake together. He also took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, not just to celebrate some principles or some that he's, the world is love. Or It is poured out to atone for, to make you right with God, a substitute in your place poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, and I want you to picture the biggest table you have ever seen in your life that goes on for miles. 
but everybody can hear everybody. And in that moment, somebody is going to raise a glass and say to the king, will you be at the table? Jesus said, I won't drink of it again until that moment. That moment when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. My friends, this is the blood of Jesus poured out for your sins. Let's partake together. So Lord, we are thankful for you, your stories. Lord, that you were telling stories in real time, that they weren't make-believe, they were happening. But they are happening. We are still here. You have gone off to a far country. You have left us with our lives and the gospel. What will we do, Lord? We ask that as we remember the bread, we remember the wine, that you would move in our hearts and stir in us to love you. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.